So we are continuing this series that we started uh, uh, about a month ago as we kind of entered into our, our summer season. And we know that this summer, I mean, summer is always a little bit crazy with just family vacations and time off and kind of all these different things. But, but uh, with that said is now here we are going into this summer, which is going to be even more different than, than other summers are. Um, so, but whether you're with us every week, whether uh, you're going to be gone, um, watching online, or just uh, just going to be out of touch for a few weeks on trips or whatever it might be, that you the we hope you can follow along with us as we go chapter by chapter through the Gospel of John, as we study again the life of Jesus, and um, and and again even as we walk through it, you can again I encourage you to read the text yourself, you know, before coming in to prepare and. And follow up afterwards. Again, we don't have time to, to read every word of scripture here in, in, uh, as we work through it. But I encourage you again to read it on your own and to follow along. Um, and and as we continue on here, we, we've seen these phases that John's already taken us through through these first four chapters. And how we started out with, again, just the basis of, of just Jesus as God putting on flesh, right? As, as we start from the very first verses of, of the Gospel of John, that the Word became flesh. And he goes in, and, and we hear about John the Baptist, and about his human witness towards the Messiah, and, and about, you know, as, he, as, as we see, again, Jesus kind of deflecting the human or public attention, right? And yet, he, it's drawn to John and to these, to these other people. And then we see through the transitions of these opening chapters, as Jesus starts to, instead of, of push the attention away, he starts to engage in public ministry. Hey, we saw last week in chapter 4 where the first time that Jesus really truly puts his mission out there to the public and as he interacts with the woman at the well and, and on his way back to Jerusalem. And, and now today, when you get to chapter 5, our text for today, we see Jesus now uh, engages 100% into being a public figure, right? Into not just um, deflecting attention, but he truly creates attention around what he's doing and and invites, um, you know, those public figures into discussions and debates. But before we jump into our text this morning, I want to go back to, to these verses we started with in week one, where we looked at, again, the purpose of John's gospel and why he decided to include what he included, because there is a lot that John doesn't tell us in his gospel. Right? There are lots of miracles, there are lots of, of interactions and discussions that, that John leaves out. And we see, though, uh, again, in, at the end of the gospel, in, in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, John tells us clearly what his intention was with his version of Jesus' life. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by his power of his name. John tells us clearly, he's like, hey, you know what? I could have told you a lot more things. There were a lot more things that Jesus did, a lot more interactions. In fact, if I wrote all of those down, it just, it couldn't even be contained. But yet he told us some very specific things on purpose for this purpose. And that purpose was that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And that John does not waste any words. He doesn't waste a story. He doesn't waste a, an interaction or a miracle. Every word that he puts down is moving us towards this purpose, right? That we will never question 
that Jesus was the true Messiah and what the mission of the Messiah truly was. Again, that mission was so that we will be saved and have eternal life, not by our own power, but by the power of Jesus, of him being living a sinless life, dying on the cross, rising again on the third day, conquering sin and death, right, and becoming our sacrificial lamb so that we can be saved. Again, we are not, don't have true life by our own power, but by the power of the Messiah. Again, John is building a case as we work our way through the gospel, right, a case to, the, to this conclusion, right, that without a shadow of a doubt, we know who Jesus was and why he came and what his life was about as the Messiah. And he's building this case to convince us to believe that Jesus is the one Messiah and that he has the power to save us and to give us true life. Again, to establish Jesus' authority. And as we step into this next chapter of the gospel, John chapter 5, okay, before we open up God's word and before we read the text and look at that, I just want to tell you, I'm, going to, I'm giving you the answer at the very beginning. These first few minutes of the sermon, right? This is what this whole thing is about. Okay, this entire chapter and the stories and the discussions that are included in chapter 5 are all about authority. Okay, and this is the lesson that we are being taught in this chapter by Jesus and there and why John tells us is that we have to seek and ask the question of ourselves, what or who has authority in your life? Now, this is, is, seems like a simple question, but it's a question that goes very, very deep. What or who has authority in your life? Okay, the truth is, we all live under some sort of authority. Okay, there's always something higher than us. Even if it's just God himself, right, we all live under authority. No matter what, you can never escape that. And yet, we also, though, get to choose what we give authority to in our life. What am I going to submit to? Okay, and what am I going to ignore? Okay, and what we decide we will give real authority to in our life then dictates how we act, right? That then dictates how we live our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. What are we going to choose to do and what are we not going to do? That all comes down to what we give authority to in our life. Now, this is true on a big scale. This is down to every, down to very, you know, small, everyday, momentary decisions that we make. Again, to kind of illustrate this and to think about, again, do we live under this authority? We choose whether we're, what we're going to give authority to. Okay, just an example. I, I don't know what your neighborhood's like or where you live, but I live in a neighborhood subdivision, and in our neighborhood, we have a, 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 a community pool. Okay, there's a pool kind of in the middle of our neighborhood that everybody who lives there gets to go and use, and, and it's a great place, especially on a hot day, to go in and die. And, and the awesome thing is I don't have to take care of it or clean it, right? It's just we just get to go, and we get to enjoy it. Now, now our, our neighborhood, just like most neighborhoods or most pools, there are some pool rules. And so just, here's just an example of some very basic pool rules. Now, these are not the exact rules from my neighborhood, but these are very similar to the ones that are there, right? Uh, again, there are certain hours that the pool is open, okay? You can use it between these certain hours. Okay? There's uh, certain people, again, ages that you must be accompanied by an adult. And if ours is 14, if you're a 14-year-old, you can be there by yourself. Okay? You don't have to go there with the parent. Uh, again, it, the pool's for residents and authorized guests only, which is true in our neighborhood. That's true in most, most neighborhoods, right? It's not a public pool. 
right? It's just for the people that live in the neighborhood. There's, again, all of these things. Now, again, we can see these rules, and these are, are basic, clear pool rules, but yet we also understand that there's a lot of people that don't follow those rules when they go to the pool. Okay, now this is a, a constant topic of conversation in my neighborhood about people not following the pool rules, right? And because we, again, we make the choice every time we go to the pool, am I going to, to let those rules have authority over my decisions, or am I going to choose to ignore them? Hey, now, we know that people ignore the rules, right? We know we always stretch them, right? We, we, we push the boundaries of what the rules and the authority that they have, and, and that's just natural human sinful condition, right? And, and so with that, I saw, as we know, these, you know, these rules, and now we know people are going to break them, so here's kind of the other option, right, when it comes to pool rules. We'll just make one rule, right? You're not allowed to do anything that begins with the words, hey, y'all, watch this. Now we know that even with that one rule, that also is going to be broken, isn't it? Right? I don't know about you, but I have teenage boys in my life. That rule is broken all the time, right? Okay? But we see, we, but we, we choose what we will give authority to in our life. Okay? And you give that authority to whether it's, it's a sign, right, or a set of rules, or a person, or an organization, Whatever it might be, we choose what we will give authority to, what we're going to obey, and what we're going to ignore. Okay? And again, this is no more relevant than, than it is today in this moment in our nation. As we look at what's happening in our nation right now, we realize that there are people making this choice consciously every moment. To who or what am I going to give authority to? Will I accept and respond to that authority, or will I try to deny it and just do what I want? Anyways, okay, keep this question in mind. What or who has authority in my life? As we open into our text this morning, and we are, again, our text this morning, we're going to start off with John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 at this first miracle story. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to John chapter 5. If you don't have your own Bible with you uh, today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat. You're welcome to use. If you're, if you're worshiping with us online this morning, hopefully you have a Bible next to you that you can open up and follow along. But we're going to start at John chapter 5, and we're going to read the first 15 verses, okay, where it says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of six, sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected, and they said to the man who was who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, well, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Well, who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And then the man went and told the Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
And so we're going to stop there again and, and, and see this story, right, of Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem in chapter 4. That's why he went through Samaria, and we had the, the interaction with the woman at the well and, and all that that we saw last week. And now, here we get into chapter 5. He's in Jerusalem, and, and Jesus goes to this, this area, this, this pool, these pools of Bethesda. Now, many of you know I went to the Holy Land in January of this last year, and this is one of the sites that we went to. Okay, now, the, these pools of Bethesda are still there, and they're literally right in the middle of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, this is in, in the center of the activity of the city. And, and even now, even the excavated site is still really large. Okay, this, was, this is a large area of the city, and, and it's, again, a lot of it, the excavation and, and ruins are still there, these... And, and, but this, this is a place where there were a lot of people, which is exactly what John tells us. Right? He says that there were, there were these people around these pools all the time. There was, there was just, I mean, hundreds of people. And, and yet, uh, the majority of those that were there were ones who had some sort of affliction. They, they were sick. Right? They, they were crippled. They, they, they were there because they wanted to be healed. Now, this... Again, this is something that, that we can sit back and read the text and kind of wonder, like, like what, what is it about these pools that gathered so many sick people? Right? And, and yet, this is kind of one of those assumptions that kind of John just kind of leaves out of the text and because he assumes that we know why there would be all these people. One, we know it's in the middle of the city. We also would know that, you know, that these pools have a reputation. And, and John explains that reputation to us in, in verse 4. And so again, go back to the text, and let's, let's look at, let's find verse 4, and we kind of explain why there's so many people here. So yeah, we see again, okay, verse 3, crowds of sick people, okay, and then and it skips to 5. Notice in your Bible, right, where, where's verse 4? Verse 4 is not in the text. Okay, in fact, most Bibles have verse 4 down in the footnote. Okay, because verse 4 has been removed out of the text. Okay, and you get down in the footnote, we understand why. There's been the last part of verse 3 and then all of verse 4 that's been put into the footnote. Okay, and, and it says, again, uh, it says, Some manuscripts add an extended a conclusion to verse 3 and all of verse 4, which is waiting for a certain movement of the water. For an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease he had. And now, again, this explains to us, right, what, what the original audience of the gospel would have already known about these pools, right? Is that, why were there so many people around? Well, because these pools had a reputation, and this, the reputation is explained in verse 4. Now, it's in, it's in a footnote, because in the earliest manuscripts we found of the gospel of John, do not include verse 4, right? Because the original audience knew that. Now, somewhere down the line, we believe, right, that some scribe and copying it added in verse 4 once kind of realized that pe people didn't always know that anymore. So we see why there were so many sick people lying around. It's because they all wanted to be healed. Right? Just as it said, that was the reputation, right, is that for some time with no warning, right, is that the water would be stirred up, whether it was an angel or God's presence or whatever would come down. And then as soon as that happened, I mean, the, the race was on for the first person to hit the water, right? Because as soon as they hit the water, they would be miraculously healed. And, and so here, there were, literally, I, I bring this up and to point out is that, that there were probably hundreds of people that Jesus could have healed in this moment. 
And yet Jesus chooses this guy. Okay, and he heals one. And you kind of wonder, well, why? Right, there's there's got to be a deeper reason here of the why did Jesus pick this guy? Okay, and, and again, just remember that 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 John again uses this stuff on purpose. Okay, and everything has a reason. And again, there were in these crowds of people to choose from, right? John tells us this story and, and about why. And we wonder, why did Jesus pick this guy? Well, John tells us in the text why Jesus picked him. Right? He says, because he had been sick for 38 years, right? for a long time. Okay, Jesus picked this guy right? because he wanted there to be no question, no doubt right, that, of how this guy got better. Okay, it wasn't the water, okay, because it wasn't stirred. Okay, it wasn't that just he just suddenly got over you know, his sickness and he's better. No, there's no other explanation about how this guy was healed other than divine intervention by Jesus. Okay, so Jesus automatically removes all doubt right, of, of what's really happening here with this man. Okay, but also we see that I, I believe Jesus picked him because Jesus, Jesus knew who this guy was and where his heart was. Okay, because the truth is Jesus healed this man to make a point. Jesus set this guy up. Okay, Jesus had an intention with this. Because okay, notice that Jesus presents this man with a question, right? one that should have a very obvious answer. Do you want to get well? well of course he did. In fact, he wouldn't have been there by the pools if he didn't want to get well. But notice, though, in verses 6 and 7, as Jesus presents this question, notice the way this man responds to Jesus. He doesn't actually answer Jesus' obvious question. I mean, the obvious answer is, well, yes. How does this guy respond to Jesus? He says, hey, do you want to get well? And this guy gives Jesus an excuse. He kind of throws himself a pity party. Right, he says, well, you know, I, I mean, when the water stirs, nobody helps me, and I've been sick for so long, and just, and woe is me, and, and you know, that I'm still here, and no, nobody will, will lead me in, and somebody always jumps in front, and, and he, he presents Jesus with all of the reasons why he's not already well. But notice that's, again, that's not what Jesus asked. Right, again, Jesus sets him up because not only does he heal him, but as we realize, the point of the story certainly is not the healing or the miracle at all. The point of the story becomes the day on which Jesus did this miracle. It was a Sabbath day. And again, why, why does John include it? Why does Jesus you know, um, heal this man and, and kind of pick him out? And he goes, because the truth is that Jesus was setting him up to pick a fight with the religious Jewish leaders of the day. Because he knew how to push their buttons. He knew how to ruffle their feathers. Okay, and that's exactly what Jesus does here. Again, the, these Jewish leaders like, start to, 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 to realize what's going on, and they, they, they question this man. And, and then we see, um, again, as they come to him, and they, they ask him, hey, who healed you? How would you do this? Why are you working? And kind of all these things, right? Then, then we see this, this explanation in verses 13 through 15. 
Right? So it says, well, the man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. He had, he, this man had really no idea what was really going on. Right? It says, but afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. And then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, as I read these verses, my, my question is not, again, did Jesus heal him through miraculous divine touch? Obviously he did. Right? Is, we see the day of the Sabbath, right? And that's what's kind of stir, stoking up the fire here within this situation. But, but, but my first question in reading this and in looking at what Jesus tells this man, right, is what was this man's sin? knows what does Jesus tell him when he finds him in the temple afterwards? He says, hey, you are well. Stop sinning. Again, Jesus points out what should have been obvious, but yet something this man didn't get, and something that even we're kind of sitting back and wondering, like, okay, what is Jesus really addressing here? Because he says he was well. I mean, he's been physically healed, right? But but it almost feels like that Jesus, that's not even what Jesus is talking about here. And, and it's really not. You know, what was this man's sin? Why did Jesus call out this guy amidst all the hundreds of people he could have healed? Okay, when we look at this man, again, we realize this man had no idea what was really going on. Because this, his focus was 100% on himself. He didn't really care about the other sick people. He didn't really care about the Jewish leaders. He didn't even care what day it was or who Jesus was. Right? He was completely focused on himself. And that's all he cared about. And that was his real sin. You know, that's what Jesus tells him. He says, because that his heart is not right. He says, stop sinning. Yet Jesus has healed him. And not only did he heal people physically, but he healed them spiritually, and he healed them emotionally, all at the same time. And this man's heart condition was dictating his outward action, and his outward actions show that his heart was far from where God wanted him to be. He says, now you're well, so stop sinning. Again, Jesus had healed him, and therefore Jesus now should be the authority that defines this man's life, and yet this interaction with Jesus had zero effect on him other than the physical healing. Again, this man gave authority to whatever was popular in the moment and what benefited himself. And beyond that end, he didn't really care. Right? He, he gave authority to whatever was popular in the moment and that would benefit himself. Again, Jesus is telling him, stop following whatever authority is popular in the moment and that best benefits yourself. I mean, Jesus is looking at him and when he says stop sinning, he's like, hey, you've got to change your heart. Right? Your motivations behind your actions are completely heading you in the wrong direction. Again, Jesus' intention, not just for this man, but for all of us, right? That's, that's part of the Messiah's mission is to get us to stop sinning, right? And how do we truly stop sinning? Well, we stop sinning by having our motivations change, and our motivations change when our hearts are changed. The why is a whole lot more important than the action. 
Jesus' intention for all of us, right, is to change our hearts. He doesn't come for behavior modification, right? That is not the mission of Jesus, and that's still not the mission of the church today, is not behavior modification, right? Because the truth is that Jesus' intention is to change our hearts, not just our outward actions. Because if our hearts are changed, then our actions will change because our motivations are different. And that is the real mission of the Messiah, right? To give him the ultimate authority of our life. And then this, this story continues on right now that Jesus has poked the hornet's nest and he's stirred up their culture a little bit in this moment in the temple and during the Sabbath. Okay, then we see the story continues okay, in these, these verses in verses 16 through 18. Okay, John 5, verse 16, it says, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rule. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. And so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. And now we see in these verses, right, this, this transition out of this, this miracle this interaction with this man, Right, that now moves us into the temple area, and now the stage is set for what Jesus really wanted to do on that Sabbath day. Right, and that was to engage with the religious leaders. Right, because again, his mission, right, was to come to change hearts, and nobody needed their hearts changed more than the religious Jewish leaders of the Right? And Jesus, again, stirs this up. And, and this is the first time that we see Jesus um, pick a fight with the Jewish leaders. Now, there are many more coming as we work our way through the gospel. Okay? And, and we'll see that. But again, as Jesus you know, sets this up, we start to see this tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders start to build. Now, the tension in this story, as it continues to build, was all about authority. Who has the authority to do what? Okay, and, and now, when we look at the rest of the chapter, if, if your Bible is a red-letter edition Bible, meaning that any time that Jesus talks, the, the words are in, printed in red. Okay, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll notice the rest of chapter 5 is all red. This isn't much of a discussion, right? This is really more of a strong lecture by Jesus towards these religious leaders. Now, there's a few sections of this letter. Okay, that, as you see these, these transitions, right, these transition verses into 18, then this next section, verses 19 through 30, okay, is where Jesus, um, again, words are all read, Jesus summarizes his mission as the Messiah, he reminds them what they should already know as religious leaders of the day. And that is that the Messiah was coming for a specific purpose. Okay, and what that purpose was. And in order to accomplish that purpose, the Messiah came with the full authority of God himself. And, and he explains this to them, right, which only makes them more mad. And we see that this, uh, you know, as this tension continues to build. But in this section, right, Jesus establishes that he has the authority to judge. He's given that authority by God, right, to be the judge, but 
He judges with a heart of love shown by grace. And Jesus communicates to them, like, hey, again, you are here judging me, right, for, for working on the Sabbath. But I'm telling you that God judges by a different standard. And that his authority is ultimate, not yours. And as, as we see this, this section, as Jesus establishes and summarizes the mission of the Messiah, as he's already publicly claimed to be the Messiah, which is what really stoked up the fire to begin with, Right? And then we move into this last section of chapter 5 in verses 31. Um, sorry, but before we get into that section, remember verse 24. Right? Jesus tell, he says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Again, this is the summary, right? Jesus' summary of, of the mission of the Messiah. Right? It's because, again, he is the full authority of God. And what is the, the point of the mission of the Messiah? Is to give people eternal life. Okay? And we do that for never be condemned for our sins, but to pass from death into life. To, to receive Christ as our Savior and start our life moving in a new direction. Okay? And then Jesus turns a corner in his lecture with these, with these leaders okay? in verses 31 through 47. Okay? This final section of chapter 5. Okay, also all read. Okay, and yet Jesus gets a little more serious because now he specifically turns his rant towards these Jewish leaders. Okay, and, and he kind of bids them against himself. Right, of saying, now I, as the Messiah, I have this authority that's given to me by God, and you think you have authority, but it's misplaced. And, and he, again, this is a classic power struggle, okay, between Jesus and these religious leaders and about who has real authority. Now, even the fact that only Jesus speaks, I mean, shows, you know, from that itself, right, who really carries the authority in this situation. Okay, but Jesus points out a few different things that I would just want to highlight for us today. Again, we don't have time to read it word for word. I encourage you this week to go home and to read it yourself. I mean, read the text yourself, okay, and just to see the, the argument that Jesus makes here. Okay, but, but first, though, Jesus establishes that his authority comes from multiple sources. Okay, the, the first source of Jesus' authority is, comes from human witness. Okay, and we see, again, John has already started to build this case and we see the climax here as John, throughout the gospel, has already talked about John the Baptist and about the witness that he brought and the, the, the mission of his life was to pave the way for the Messiah and all these things. Again, even these very religious leaders, right, believed in John the Baptist. And Jesus points that out in verse 33, right, when he tells them, in fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was true. And he says, John's witness, again, you heard his witness, you believe in that. We even saw in chapter 3 when Nicodemus comes, you know, to Jesus at night and this interaction, you know, that he has with him. Nicodemus was one of these Jewish leaders, right? And he comes and he says, he's like, we know what John has said about you. They, they understand the human witness of where Jesus' authority comes from. But they also understood source 2, which is the next thing that Jesus points out, and that is the divine witness that speaks to Jesus' authority. Again, that, that 
that Jesus is doing things that cannot be explained in any other way than, with, than by him possessing God's power. That's, a, that's another thing, again, that Nicodemus tells Jesus when he approaches him in chapter 3. Right? He says, again, we know that these things you do right, are, are coming from God because there's no other explanation. Your miracles and your teaching and the, the, the way that you, everything that you do. Again, Jesus points out, again, the, the divine witness of his true identity as Messiah in verse 36. He says, but I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. Again, he was reiterating to them once again, not only do I have human witness to my authority as Messiah, but also I have divine witness that you cannot explain any other way, just like how I healed this man at the pool. But Jesus doesn't even stop there, because there is one more that he takes even further to source three. And, and this is the one is where that probably stings the most to these Jewish religious leaders. And that is how scripture defines Jesus' authority. Because these Jewish leaders, again, they knew the scriptures better than anyone else. Right? Notice in verses 39 and 40, where Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Again, he's saying, you know the scriptures better than anybody, but you've missed the point. All scripture points to the Messiah. Right? And the Messiah coming to solve that equation once and for all of how we can be saved. Scripture has the authority if it is used for its intended purpose. But as we see from here, once again, is that, that Scripture can be misused. That we can misunderstand it, and it can send us to conclusions that are not of God. Scripture itself can become an idol and even lead us astray if it is used improperly. Again, these Jewish leaders, right, they, they believe that they had a certain amount of authority. But yet now as Jesus continues his argument with them, they not only does he build this credibility of, of where his own authority comes from, then, then he points out where their authority comes from false sources. When he's saying, you guys don't have the authority you think you have because you are denying the authority that comes from God, right? From scripture, from human witness, from divine witness. Now, now here is the false sources where their authority comes from. Okay? And, and Jesus points out two of them. Okay? The first false source of authority of the religious leaders is the source that comes from themselves. Okay, the fact that they have, again, are claiming for their own sake the authority that they believe that they have. You know, Jesus explains this in verse 43. He says, For I have come to you in my Father's name, and yet you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. Now, again, we could see from this, um, again, argument of Jesus, right, towards them, right, that we cannot trust self-appointed authority figures. We should not trust self-appointed authority figures. And yet the, the truth is that self-appointed authority figures are very prevalent in our world today. Right? Everybody claims to be an expert. 
right, on any topic. I mean, again, that's one of the dangers, right, of social media now is that everybody thinks they're an expert and everybody has a voice. Right? Again, not just social media, but I think if, if we look at just, just the world today, I think, again, we, we, we even we make this decision ourselves, right, in many times. How many of you have ever Googled your own um, medical conditions? Okay, have you ever Googled your symptoms, right, to try and figure out what's going on? Okay, most of us have. Okay, and yet, again, we become our self-appointed authority in what's going on in our, in our bodies, right, because we can, we, we can Google it. Right, can you imagine the perspective of doctors today, right, when people show up, right, and they already know what's wrong? I just found, I found this just silly meme, right? It says, you see to me, the difference is that I went to medical school and your mom went to Google. So who are you going to trust? Self-perceived authority, right, is on small things like maybe Googling our own, you know, diseases all the way to, to much bigger things in our world. Right? Self-appointed authority is dangerous. And yet... We see false source number one was themselves, and then false source number two that they were claiming was tradition. Well, why are we going to do it that way? Well, because we've always done it that way. It's always worked, and it'll work again. Jesus makes this point in verse 45, right? He says, yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. Again, where was their hope for salvation? Their hope was in the law, right, in upholding the law. And who gave them the law? Well, it was the law of Moses. Right? And Jesus is telling us, hey, you know what? You're putting, again, your authority, your false authority into, into something that's not, that can't save you at all. Again, Jesus, in, again, teaches on the real purpose of the law and why, why we had it and kind of all those things. But again, they, they were banking on the authority of the law, of the tradition. Again, we are sticking with this because it's always worked and it will work again. And this ultimately points back to self-appointed authority. I know because it's worked in the past and so I don't need to listen to anybody else because it'll work again. Right, and, and we give authority to things just because we've always done it. Right? And, and as, as we look, again, even just now into the, our summer season, again, one of the things that we love to do, especially in Idaho, right, is to go camping. Okay? Now, it seems to me that there's, there's really only two categories of people. There are people that love camping, and there are people that don't love camping. Right? And yet, again, why, why do we go camping? Well, it's because we've always done it, right? It's a tradition in our family. I mean, it's a tradition in my family. We love going camping. Right? But again, just it's just see this other perspective, right? Like, yeah, my wife says camping's a tradition in my family. It was a tradition in everyone's family. That's why we invented the house. Right? And again, do we, do we want to do, do that? We choose, again, we choose what authority we have in our life. Right? And what we're going to do in our lives is dictated by where we put our authority, ultimately. What am I going to obey and what am I going to ignore? Right? To who or what has authority in my life? Am I basing my life on something that is divinely founded, that is firm? Right? Or am I basing it on something that's not 
very reliable. We are all under some sort of authority, and we make that choice many times a day. What am I going to give authority to in my life? John presents us with three big options of, of what, how we can give that authority in our life. Right, are we going to go with what's popular and that benefits myself, like the man at the pool? Or am I going to give authority to self-appointed authority figures, right, like the Jewish leaders that might be leading me astray? Or will I give 100% full, holding nothing back authority to Jesus in my life? Right, and ultimately, that was the lesson. Right? Not just to the man at the pool and not just to the religious leaders of that day, right? but, but we, what we learn from this rant by Jesus in the temple is that he deserves ultimate authority in our lives. Right? And that if we give up our life to Jesus, if we give him full authority in our lives, full surrender, all in, Right? If we belly flop into the deep end with full-out commitment into who Jesus is, then we will experience something that we can't experience anywhere else. Again, this isn't just a choice that we make when we first receive Christ our Savior. I mean, in that moment, right, the first time we give God full authority in our life is when we receive Christ as our Savior. But that's a choice we have to continue to make every day as we journey in our faith. And to, to give God more and more authority in our life. And that as he changes our hearts, right, then it not just changes my outward actions and my behaviors, but, but it changes everything in my life if I truly give the authority of my life to Jesus. Like that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. He sums up this entire teaching in this very pretty famous verse that he gives us in the Gospel of Matthew, and that is my final thought for today, and that is this. As Jesus tells us uh, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, maybe. Matthew 10, 39, where Jesus says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. What or who has authority in your life? Have you given authority to Jesus or are you giving it to something else or someone else? Okay, what is dictating your actions? I hope that today you will commit and give in to Jesus 100% and say, you are the authority in my life. If you never receive Christ your Savior, that's where you start. That's how you join the journey of faith, right? Is, is accepting him in your life, confessing your sin, receiving that love and grace and forgiveness and I'm moving in a new direction. If you never see Christ your Savior before today, I hope that you can pray and receive him today. If you have, are you giving him authority in your life in every moment, in every decision, and are you growing in your faith and moving forward? I hope you'll rise to that challenge. We're going to sing one last song as we conclude our service this morning, and as we do that, I just encourage you to contemplate this question and saying, does Jesus have authority in my life? And if not, I'm going to give it to him today. Yes, God, we believe in you. God, we believe the human witness. We believe the divine witness. God, we believe the scriptures that tell us, God, that Jesus is the Messiah. That he's 100% God and 100% human at the same time. That he carries the same authority as the Father. 
God, help us as we go this week, Lord, to submit ourselves to your authority in all these different areas of our lives. Father, whether that's our, our, just our, our life in general and our faith in you, or just living out our faith every day, God, and just submitting to who you are as we are transformed by your power and your spirit. Lord, help us to show this world who you really are. God, by our, our attitudes and our actions. Lord, help us to shine your light in this darkness. Lord, that we can show this world what real life is like as we walk with you. God, give us the courage to live out our faith, to invite our friends, God, to share who you are with our family. God, to live out our faith every day. God, fill us with your spirit as we leave and as we live out and pursue you with everything we have and grow in our faith this week. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. Guide us now as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.